0: Well, good evening, family. If you would, uh, we're in the middle of this study, as we've talked about in the five solas. We're in week four. You guys know the drill. You've been here, most of you, I'm sure, uh, most of these weeks. There are five phrases that summarize, that crystallize key biblical truths that were rediscovered during the Reformation: Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone; Sola Gratia, Grace alone; Sola Fide, Faith alone. Solus Christus, Christ alone, and Soli Deo Gloria, the glory of God alone. We've seen that the Scriptures alone are the foundation, the sole authority of our faith because our faith we find here in the Word of God. This is the, the source of truth. We affirm what the Reformers discovered when they studied the Scriptures as we have been uncovering along with them the these other four truths, four solas. We've seen then that in the Scripture, the next sola, sola gratia, we are saved by grace alone, not by any inherent goodness, not by any, any merit of our own. We receive that grace by faith alone or through faith alone, not by anything that we can do or add to what God has done. We simply receive it through faith. But those truths raise a big question. If we are saved by God's grace alone through faith alone, and not by anything that we bring to the table, not by anything that we do, if God is a holy and righteous and just God, and He is, matter of fact, Again, I I divert from my notes. I'll go to very quickly to Deuteronomy chapter thirty two says the rock, speaking of God, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Deuteronomy thirty two four. God is a God of perfect justice. So How can God be a God of perfect justice, but also at the same time a God of grace and mercy toward sinners who, as we've seen already in Scripture, are totally and helplessly and hopelessly guilty and condemned? How can a totally righteous God simply be merciful and gracious to us because sin has consequences. Consequences that justice simply cannot overlook or dismiss. If God simply dismisses or overlooks our guilt and our sin, He is no longer perfectly just. And so, it would seem that these two characteristics of God, His justice and His grace and mercy, come to a point of contradiction precisely at our point of desperate need, our sinfulness, our condemnation, and an irreconcilable point of conflict at that. We are all sinners. We all stand justly condemned before God. So how can God justify us, declare us innocent and righteous without abandoning His justice? It's a very important question. If you have the little notebook and you're taking notes, you'll notice our text this morning is in Romans 5. We will get there, but actually we'll spend probably more time back in Romans 3, where we've been the last two weeks. What we'll see is pretty much these three big points, sola, gratia, sola, fide, solus, Christus, are all right here in Romans 3. That's why I kind of use that as our anchor text this week. I hope you'll turn to Romans 3, and I really think you'll want the text in front of you so you can follow along, because we're going to look at some things here in a moment. Romans chapter 3, we'll we'll start with that one verse that everybody knows from this chapter, Romans 3.23. Alright? Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. A lot of you know that by memory. I hope you do. Learn it. There's more. and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The solution to the problem that I raised to this issue of how do we reconcile God's justice with His grace is found in that last phrase, how God can be both just and justifier. The one who says, you sinners, who are you who is hopelessly Lost and condemned, you are, you are now righteous. How can God be both? And what this, what he just says here, the verses ahead of this tell how he made that happen. In order to to understand it though, we gotta go back and look at these verses and I just want to call our attention starting here to some key words that are in this text. Then we're gonna go over to Romans 5 and we're gonna see a few more. All of these words I'm gonna to point out today are words that talk about what Jesus did when He rescued you and me from sin. They're all about our salvation. How did God justify us and declare us righteous without abandoning His justice? Well, we're going to look at what God did. Through Jesus Christ and we'll see how it happens so let's go back and let's see some of these words what we'll see this morning first of all two big truths we're going to learn this morning first truth we're going to spend most of our time on is this Jesus Christ is the sufficient Savior Christ alone is the sufficient Savior first word I want to call attention to we saw it back again you look back down at your text to verse 24 And it's this word here, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption. There is redemption in Jesus Christ. By the way, all these words are going to be words that are kind of long. Most of them, they're theological terms. So you're going to get a theological education tonight, but I'm going to try to keep the cookies on a low shelf because that's where I live. I figure when I get something where I can understand it, we're good. Okay, because I don't think any of you are any lower than me. So, there's redemption in Jesus. Redemption literally means to buy back. Pawn shops are kind of trendy today. Uh, they are mostly, I think, simply because of that uh, show Pawn Stars that it became a hit show a few years ago. Pawn shops are one of those things that generally nobody really cared much about. But all of a sudden I see more of them popping up. I think... A lot to do with that tv show if you know how a pawn shop works uh which i don't by experience but i do i have seen this if you if you need some cash you look around and you say do i have anything of value and maybe you know you have a, a ring or if you're like me a guitar player well it'd have to be the guitar because i can't get the ring off uh <laughs> and you go to the pawn shop and you say i need some money and they'll say we'll give you a loan and based on whatever it is you bring in, you know, if you bring this nice bass that that uh, Kevin's bass, which is pretty pricey little bass there, you know, she'd going to be able to get a good sum for that. They'll give you a loan, and they'll say, you know, we can sell that for fifteen hundred bucks, so we're going to charge, we're going to give you a loan of a thousand dollars, and you're going to have to pay it back at interest. But we keep the guitar. As collateral until you pay your loan back. And if you don't pay it back within the specified time, we can sell it. And hopefully, they're hoping they're going to get 15 for it. If you get your money together and you go back and pay the loan back, the official term is you redeem your guitar. That's the word. It means to buy back. It was yours, but it has now becomes somebody else's and you buy it back. We were God's people. He made us. We we sold ourselves, as it were, into bondage, into sin. Our sin had bound us under a curse from which we could not escape. Under a penalty that we could not pay. But Jesus has redeemed us. He has purchased us from the penalty and from the power of sin. And that's what our text says here, that it's through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Galatians chapter 3 makes this quite clear. It says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. The, The law is not a bad thing. The law is simply the list of here's the right things, the right way you're to live. But we had broken the law and so we came under the curse of the law. We came under its penalty. And Jesus, He says, redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who hang, is hanged on a tree. When Jesus died on the cross, He did that to pay the penalty, to pay the price that we owed so that we could be bought out of sin. Redemption. Redemption. That's one thing that is here in this text that Jesus did for us. Another one we'll see in the next verse, verse 25. Whom God put forward, talking about Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. The second word I want us to notice is propitiation. There's propitiation in Jesus. And you wonder, what in the world is propitiation? Can you use it in a sentence? Uh, Propitiation, we don't use it much in normal talk, but it means this, to appease or to satisfy someone who is offended. To satisfy the wrath of an offended person or an offended deity. Because God is holy and righteous, God hates sin. He hates evil. Earlier, one of the earlier messages, we look back at Romans chapter 1 and in verse 18 where it says, For the wrath of God is being revealed against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. God is ticked. He is angry at sin. He is judging it now, but He will ultimately judge it fully. God's wrath, the Bible tells us, is being restrained. It's being held back until a time when He will unleash His wrath against sin. The Bible says that, and our passage here tells us, that God put Jesus forward as a propitiation, a satisfaction, an appeasement of His wrath. Jesus shed blood His death was the satisfaction of God's wrath towards our sin. 1 John 4 says it this way, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us. And He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So Jesus came to bring redemption to buy us out of sin. Jesus came to be propitiation to satisfy God's Righteous wrath, righteous anger against our sin. And since it was against our sin, it was against us. <laughs> Jesus has appeased God's anger at us. Thirdly, another word that's here in our text, you can see it in verse 26. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be both the just and and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We've actually looked at this word, I think, almost every week. It's popped up. And it's the word just or justification or justifier. It all has to do, we've learned, with a legal term. Being just is being right. Being justified or justification is a courtroom term. That means to be declared right, to be declared innocent. You're on trial. You are guilty as condemned, perhaps. But whatever it is, at the end of the trial, if the judge looks at you and says, not guilty, you are innocent of the charges, case dismissed, case closed, court adjourned, you are free to go, that is justification. To be declared righteous, to be declared right. Be declared not guilty. God justifies the person who has faith in Jesus. We have justification in Jesus. As verse 24 put it, we are just back up here. we are justified by his, by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Jesus' redemption, when he paid the price to buy us out of sin, that's Paid the penalty that was due so that we could be declared righteous. We could be justified. A couple of chapters after this, over in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, that verse tells us one of the wonderful benefits of being declared righteous, of being justified. Romans 5 verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the benefits of being justified is that we're at peace with God. We're no longer guilty under the law. You know the guy who has, and maybe it's been you before, (laughs) who's got a bunch of outstanding tickets and a bunch of outstanding stuff, you've got warrants, active warrants for you on file. You live in fear. And every time you see a policeman, you duck and run. You see a police car, you turn and go the other direction. There is fear because you don't want to get caught. But if that man's record is wiped clean, it's a different story. No longer is there need to fear. No longer are the police the, you know, the one to worry about. Instead, you know, might go have a cup of coffee and a donut with a cop once you've been justified. He's saying that's the way it is with us and God. Before you were justified, you had reason to fear God because you were under the penalty. You were condemned. And God is angry at sin. You had reason to run. But He says now that we've been justified, we have peace. Isn't that awesome? Justification. Now that we're here in Romans 5, if you're there... If you aren't aren't there, flip over to Romans chapter 5. I want to notice another word down in verse 10 of chapter 5 of Romans. I said we'd get to Romans 5. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. What's the word that's repeated like three times there? Some form of reconcile, reconciled reconciliation. That's our big word. we got another big word to notice here. Reconciliation. What is reconciliation? Reconciliation is the removal of hostilities and the restoration of relationship between two parties. Part of my job, not my favorite part, part of my job at times... Is being involved when there is a couple, a married couple that's in serious jeopardy in their relationship. They are at odds with each other, they are about to divorce perhaps or whatever, and they come and they say, you know, help us. <laughs> and you try to reconcile a broken relationship. We were at odds with God. The Bible even says that we were enemies. As this passage says over in in verse 10, if while we were enemies, there was a time some people think, oh, how could we ever be enemies with God? Well, you were. (laughs) And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior tonight, the Bible says you are. The natural state is that we are at at enmity. We are enemies of God. But Jesus on the cross through His redemption says here, to the death of His Son, Jesus, we were reconciled to God. God's wrath has been satisfied, as we just spoke of. We are now no longer rebels against God. And reconciliation, then, goes beyond propitiation, satisfying God's anger. Because a couple, you can satisfy their anger. Maybe they're not angry at each other anymore, but the marriage isn't reconciled. It's not what it needs to be. Reconciliation is a positive thing. It's taking what was a negative relationship, a relationship of enmity, and brings them to be friends. Much like what has happened between us and Japan and us and Germany. In my dad's generation, we were enemies, mortal enemies. We have become fast friends. That is reconciliation. Jesus on the cross brought us reconciliation with God one more word I want to grab out of this passage unfortunately the word isn't there but the concept is so I'm going to insert a word into the text that's a dangerous thing so I'm not really putting in the Bible but I'm giving a name or a word to a concept that's here in this passage the concept really is here Look back, look up a few verses here in Romans chapter 5 to verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Really, it's all about that little word For. And when you read what he's saying here, at the right time, Jesus Christ died for the ungodly. Scarcely will someone die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare to die. What his point is, is that would you die for somebody else so they can live? It says, We scarcely would die for for someone who's just righteous, somebody who's you know over there they're just perfect, you know. But a good person, somebody who's useful, somebody who is doing, you know, really has a life that's just, you know, they are impacting so many people, they're doing so many good things. You might look at them and say, you know what, their life is worth more than mine. They're really impacting a lot of people for good. I would die for them. So that that does happen on occasion. People give their lives for another person but not very often. Here's the remarkable thing, he says, while we, were still, while we were ungodly, while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ, the most worthy person in the universe, God Himself became a man in the person of Jesus. He died for us so that we could live. The, the concept, the word that I want to add here that's not here, is this word, it's substitution, substitution. That's what that little word for means in this case. It means in our place. He died so we could live. Peter says it this way. He says, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. The great reformer Martin Luther called this a wonderful exchange. He takes our sin... And we receive His righteousness. It's a poor exchange for Jesus. It's a great exchange, a wonderful one for us. He takes the sin that had us condemned, had us helpless and hopeless. And he takes the penalty that our sin deserved. In exchange, He gives us redemption. and He gives us propitiation and justification and reconciliation. He did that by substitution, by taking what we deserved and giving us instead what He deserved and what He had. Isn't that awesome? I'm going to take time out from Romans. We'll come back to Romans in just a minute. To just add one more word that I couldn't find put in anywhere in Romans as well as this. And that is over in First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. And it says this, For there is one God and one, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus who gave Himself as a ransom for us all. One more word about what Jesus did for us and even in effect He is still doing for us is the word Mediation. He's a mediator. A mediator is one who acts as a, a in-between two opposing sides in order to bring a settlement. They're the ones who do the work to bring the reconciliation. Jesus provided the, the means of reconciliation through His death. He also provides the work of reconciliation as a mediator. Jesus is the mediator between us and God. We don't, we won't go there, but sometime it's worth going and reading through Hebrews chapter 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. In Hebrews chapter 4, specifically 4 and 5 and 8 are incredibly clear. Jesus Christ is our great high priest. Jesus, after He died for our sins, rose again from the dead, He ascended back to heaven, and From that point until now and until the point when Jesus returns to take us home, the Bible tells us what Jesus is doing right now. He is acting as our intermediator, as our mediator. Among the things He does as our mediator is He intercedes for us. He prays for us. That is in Romans. You'll find it in Romans chapter 8 that He intercedes for us, but you don't have this term, mediator. And I wanted to grab that term. Because the point is is that you and I don't need anyone else between us and God. No one else between us and God. Not a pastor, not a priest, not Mary, not the saints. We don't need anyone else to dispense God's grace to us. See, God's grace has come to us through faith, through Christ, alone. That's the point. He is, and notice it says, there is there. how many mediators are there? There's one. There's one God and one mediator between God and man. Not only do you not need someone else, no one else can fill that role. And so the writer of Hebrews goes on in Hebrews chapter 4 and he says, let us then Because of that reality, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That's God's throne. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When you need grace and mercy, you don't come to the pastor. (laughs) I can't help you. All I can do is say, there's Jesus. (laughs) And let's go to Him. You don't need the church. Not that we can't, as the church, pray with you. Not that we can't even pray for you, but we don't give you grace. Only Jesus does. And you don't need need us to pray for you because Jesus prays for you. You pray to Him. That's the point. Now, here's this whole long list of big theological words. There you go. One's, you learn these, you've got a big theological education. Okay. Why have I drawn attention to all these words with their unique nuances? Because the Apostle Paul, both here in Romans and even in that one verse in 1 Timothy, he's using these words, I believe, specifically to make a point. And that is this no matter how you look at our salvation, what do you look at? It, this way, this way, this way, this way, this way, this way, what you will discover is. It's a complete package. God left no stone unturned, no angle you know, unnoticed, uncovered, nothing undone. It's a complete package. He didn't miss anything. In many ways in our day and time, we face a very similar problem today in Christendom, in the church, that the reformers faced over 500 years ago that brought about the Reformation. So, when they started digging into Scripture, they realized the church had had. When they stripped away the traditions and they stripped away the teachings of men, and they looked at just what does the Scripture says, what does the Scripture say? They discovered these, rediscovered these truths that are so plainly here. And you see, the problem then is the problem now. It's not that Jesus is rejected. Jesus is no savior. He's not God. That's not that. It's not that Jesus is ignored, pushed off to the side as unimportant. We don't care about Jesus at all. Jesus is talked about all the time. But Jesus, then as now, is viewed as. By so many, as not enough. He's insufficient. He's good. He's God. He died for us. He rose again. They agree with those facts, but miss the reality of what Jesus did and what He accomplished in our salvation. Jesus is the sufficient Savior. We don't have to add something else to trusting in Jesus in order to be saved. It's not believe in Jesus and do good deeds and you get to heaven. It's not, it's not believe in Jesus and get baptized and you go to heaven. It's not believe in Jesus and, you know, join the church. You know, it's not believe in Jesus and, uh, take the sacraments. It's not believe in Jesus and buy the pastor a boat. Not that at all. We are saved by God's grace alone through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. None of those other things are bad. Good deeds are good. Joining the church is good. Buying the pastor a new boat is not bad. (laughs) But it won't get you to heaven. Only thing that gets us to heaven as we we have seen time and time again we are saved as we saw last week by faith alone and it's faith in Jesus alone not Jesus plus anything else quite frankly to try to add anything else to it is an affront to God and his word because God has said it's this alone the writer of Hebrews makes it crystal clear. He says this, And by that will, God's will, we have been sanctified, made holy. Notice that's in the past tense. Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You don't have to make yourself holy. God has declared you are holy. You don't have to earn that before God. He goes on, verse 12, But when Christ had offered for all, all time, a single sacrifice. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, He sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down because the work was done. There's nothing else to do. He had paid the cost for sin, so He sat down. Verse 14, same chapter, Hebrews 10. For by a single offering, He has perfected again in the past perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. It's done. Our salvation is bought and paid for. Jesus and what He did on the cross is sufficient. It is complete. There's nothing else for Him to do, nothing else for us to do, nothing to add to it other than to receive God's gift of salvation by trusting in Jesus, period. Christ alone, Jesus is the sufficient Savior. One more, real quick thing, got one more big point. I promise it's not going to take real long. Okay, we've got to go back to Romans 5 if you're not there. Second big point in this passage. I'll tell you what, I'm going to read some verses from Romans 5. Follow along if you want. Uh, beginning of verse 12 of Romans 5. Again, I, I, whenever you're reading Scripture... Notice if words are repeated because if words are repeated, typically there's a point that they're trying to make that's critical, important. So see if you can notice the repeated word. I'm going to start reading. Verse 12 of Romans 5. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. Skip down to verse 17. For because of one man's trespass, The many will be made righteous. What's the repeated word? You are such a sharp group. I am. I thought you guys might find that tough, but. Okay. So what does Paul want to direct our attention to? Two people. <laughs> that was a trick question. But it's true. He talks about one, but it's all about two. Just like this, our whole series is about sola, but there's five of them. Sola meaning alone, but there's five alones. I know, I'm messing with your brain, but it's okay. <laughs> what, see, what, what he does, first of all, he says that the whole, this whole mess of sin that caught us and trapped us and condemned us started with one man, one person, our great 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 great, I'm not sure how many we add to that, great grandpa Adam. When Adam sinned, from him passed down to us sin and death to every one of us. That's the first of the two people he calls our attention to. The solution to our problem of sin is in a second person, a second one person is And that is Jesus. Jesus is the one person who brings grace and righteousness and justification and life. Again, this is the second big truth of Solus Christus. Jesus Christ is the sufficient Savior. Jesus Christ is also the only Savior. Savior. Jesus is not a Savior, not one of several possibilities. He is the only Savior. And if there is one thing that is under fire in our generation, it's anything where we stand up and say this is true. (laughs) If anything where we say this is exclusive, And to say that there is only one Savior, only one way to be saved, is very politically incorrect and very unpopular in our day and time. That's our culture. It's not only just our culture, it's in the church. George Barna, you know the guy that does these opinion polls, in his research in evangelical Protestant churches in America, what he found is that 35% of evangelical Protestant people that he's surveyed agree with this statement. God will save all good people when they die, regardless of whether they have trusted Jesus Christ. 35% of the people who identify themselves as church-going evangelical Protestants. What they don't get, and what our culture does not get, it doesn't matter what is popular thought. Because in the end, when this life is over and we all stand before our Maker, the only thing that matters is what does He say. That's why the Reformers went back to Sola Scriptura. What does God say? What does God say? Only one man, this passage says, brings salvation. But it's not just this passage. Everybody loves John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Everybody loves that verse. Not many people read two verses later. John 3.18 says, Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in faith. That's not what it says. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God, Jesus Christ. Could not be clearer. Whoever believes in Jesus is saved, but whoever doesn't believe in Jesus is not saved. So you say, well, maybe that's just wrong. Maybe that's just a little mistake in something, you know. So you go over to John 14. Jesus' words, John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. Truth, by the way, by definition, is always narrow. Our society doesn't want to believe that. They do everything they can to try to blur the lines even where they aren't blurred. (laughs) The truth is very narrow. And Jesus doesn't say, I am a way, Some people can come to the Father through Me. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. The only way to God is through Jesus. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is salvation in no one but Jesus. What does all that mean to us on a day where we're here late at night instead of early in the morning it's been icy outside and tomorrow we're going to go back to school and back to work? Well, first of all, if you're here and for whatever reason you've thought that being saved, going to heaven, is somehow about being good enough or trying hard enough, I hope you've been getting the message here that there's nothing we can do. That's what we've seen the last two weeks to earn our way. And it's not about trusting in Jesus plus other stuff. It's simply trusting in Jesus alone because He is sufficient. Trusting in Jesus is, is the full deal. There's nothing else we can add to it. And as I started to say earlier, in fact, if we try to do that, we offend God and we belittle the sacrifice of Christ. We say, yeah, God, you, you became man. You died in my place. You know, but that's not quite enough i got to add a little bit to it here. How silly and how offensive. And that's not faith at all. Faith is simply trusting Christ alone. So if you're here this evening and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, all you, all it takes is understanding your need and understanding what He's done and simply telling God, I believe. I trust Jesus. Instead of trying to earn it, I receive the gift you offer. And God says at that moment, you're saved. That's faith. To all of the majority of us here who are already believers in Jesus, I hope there has been more than just a theology review. But rather that as we've looked at all of those words about what Jesus did for us, that we come to appreciate all the more just how deeply lost we were and how great the grace of God and that it wells up in you more gratitude for God's grace and love for the wonders of His love toward us and that that then would cause us to cling to Him more dearly, to live more faithfully, and motivate us to remember that that next door neighbor that kid who sits next to you in fourth hour that person that cuts your hair the person that checks you out at Aldi or your crazy uncle Bill Whoever it is that you know that doesn't know Jesus, there is no other way that they will ever get to heaven except by placing their faith and trust in Jesus. And the only way that they're going to hear about Jesus is if somebody tells them. How can we be quiet? And I'm not pointing a finger at you, I'm asking a question because I suffer with the same disease. I got a lockjaw. we shouldn't. We mustn't. Because we are saved by God's grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. And there's a lot of people in this world who are only going to hear through us alone. I made that Sola up. (laughs) But if the shoe fits, maybe we need to wear it. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this time. I thank You that... Despite all the weather this morning, we've been able to get out tonight and be together. And it's so encouraging to me to be with the brothers and sisters. Lord, may Your Word penetrate our hearts tonight. And may it make a difference to the one, if there is one here, who's never placed their faith and trust in Jesus. May finally the lights come on, the truth dawn. And may even in these moments they say, yes, Lord, I believe. For the rest of us, Lord. May we never forget these critical truths of what Christ alone has done for us. May it change us forever. In His name we ask it. Amen.